Welcome to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson. Here you will hear teaching that will challenge you to a deeper walk with Jesus. Whatever place you are in your understanding of God's plan for your life, you will grow closer by listening. No shame, no guilt, and no condemnation. But you will be challenged to a closer walk with God. Now, here's Pastor Israel with today's teaching. Suffering for the Lord is not a bad thing. Look at Romans 8:17. Now if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. <clears throat> That's a beautiful verse. Many of us try to escape suffering and, and, and things like that, but suffering for a believer is a sign of being molded and being perfected. And that's a good thing. It is a wonderful thing. Jesus' death on the cross, listen, reversed the meaning of suffering. Because Jesus suffered and died on the cross, that death, that suffering reversed the meaning of suffering. In the Old Testament, suffering was generally regarded as pure punishment. In the Old Testament, you read the story of Job. Job, the Bible says, was a blameless man, and God allowed the devil to destroy Job's life in every aspect of it. And guess what? Job had friends, and they all surrounded Job. And, you know, they had one thing to say to him. All of them, the same thing, the same message. You must have done something really bad to deserve this thing. You must have violated some commandment. You must have made some wrong decision. You must have, you must have calculated the grace of God in the wrong way. You must have done this. You must have done that. And God vindicated Job because God was proving Job. God, who was God proving to when he allowed the suffering to happen to Job? Some says, well, he's proving to Satan that Satan was wrong about Job. Some saying, oh, God is proving himself to Job. That's why he allowed him to suffer. No, 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 not, nothing like that. God allowed Job to suffer so God can prove his own word. And that's what God does. That's the beauty of when we go through suffering in the name of Jesus, it proves God's word about who he is. Forget about what he proves to us. Do you know people, Christians I know, say, well, God needs to prove himself. He, has, he owes us no proof. Of anything. He doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us one thing. But he vindicates his own word. And that's more powerful than just him vindicating our situations and vindicating what not. I'd rather God says to me one day when I face him, I was right about you. Come on, God's people. Would you like to hear God say that to you when you enter the pearly gates? I don't know if it's pearly. I'd like golden gates. Pearly is, uh, um, you know, not, not enough for me. <laughs> I want those gates to be gold. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding about that, okay? But what would you rather hear from the mouth of the Lord when you face him? Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm pretty sure he's going to say that, all right, because it's in the Bible. But do you think that's the only thing Jesus is going to say? He's going to say these words. I was right about you. I knew it. I knew that you were going to rise up. Why? Because Jesus was serious about this suffering thing in the body and all of this stuff. 
Jesus says, I'm not going to take this fruit from the vine again until I drink this with you in my Father's kingdom. I'd imagine myself sitting on that table. Oh, yeah. And Jesus saying, I was right about you. Is he right about us? Go on. It's 11 o'clock. You got to end. Okay, what aspects of Jesus' suffering do we remember? Number one, we remember and we share. Okay, not just remembering. We remember and we share his sorrow. That's number one. We share his sorrow. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7:10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. But there's so much in that verse. I don't have time to kind of go into that. But we remember that Jesus' sorrow on the cross was for our benefit. And because if it's for our benefit, God wants us to share in that sorrow. Did you know that you are a child of God when you and I sin as God's children? Do you feel bad or do you feel good? <laughs> it's a simple question. This is how you know. That, that you have godly sorrow. When you and I sin, I know you hate that word. Uh, I, don't, I don't like it either, but I have to say it because that characterizes our lives many times, right? But when we sin, a child of God just is not happy about it. You just, you just have sorrow over it. Why? Because you're saved. By the way, does any, everybody know the word saved? Saved is old school of saying that you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you are a Christian. That, that's all it is, okay? But, but before I became a Christian, sinning is natural for me. I, I, don't, I don't even think about it. It's just part of my life. But the moment I came to faith in Jesus, I realized that, hey, this is not what God wants. And the moment you feel that sorrow, it's called godly sorrow. And that always, always brings repentance. Godly sorrow will produce repentance. And that's what we take to the Lord's table. Before you take of the Lord's table, you've got to recognize, and I've got to recognize, that there are those things that I have to repent of. If there are anything that I know. Knowing me, I have to repent even just for repenting's sake. Because I don't know what I have done that may have displeased the Lord. You know? Secondly, we remember his shame. That he was put to shame. He endured the shame. Um, in, uh, in, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, actually, chapter 3, you know, God has to kill an animal, take off its skin, and, uh, and, 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 and cover Adam and Eve, cover their sin. I mean, it's a prefiguring of what Jesus has done on the cross. I mean, he, he gave his body in order to cover the shame of our sin. And the moment we recognize that it's shameful, uh, what we do, you know, as people to mock the name of the Lord. I mean, you know, I, I get pretty angry when I, when I hear some of the things in the news. And I don't get angry because I, I truly believe that I'm better than the people that are mocking the Lord. No, I'm not. I was once a mocker before I became a rocker. No. I used to mock the name of Jesus too. But now that I've come to know the beauty of the grace and mercy of God, and I know you have too, you realize that, hey, it's shameful some of the things that we do 
in order to, you know, to, to carry on with our lives. Jesus humbled himself and, and died for us. And how do we respond to that? When we come to the Lord's table, we remember that the Lord of the universe was put to shame for our sake. Thirdly, we remember, obviously, his sacrifice. Ephesians 5, 1-2 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as clearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, this is the point that I was making earlier. Every time we sacrifice for the name of Jesus, sacrifice something of our lives, something of ourselves, that becomes a fragrant aroma when we come and worship the Lord. Same thing with Jesus. It costs you something to be here this morning. Amen? It, it does. It, 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 you know, that, that, that relationship that you have to terminate because it's not glorifying to God. That's a sacrifice that God says, hey, just wait. I'm going to go and deal with that with you and you're going to know that you made the right decision. But it takes sacrifice. Someone said to me a long time ago, and I, and I, and I always remember that. He said, the safest place you can ever be is at the center of God's will. And I've always thought, man, that's a good saying, man. I'm really going to take that in my spirit. Until I realized later on that that's, that's really not true. Sometimes the, the scariest place to be in is at the center of God's will. Because you know what you're going to have to give up. You know what you're going to have to go through. So to be at the center of God's will is not necessarily being in, to be safe in the center of God's will. It's not necessarily a place where everything is going well. Sometimes you have to serve the Lord. Sometimes you have to sacrifice your time, your talent, your treasure. Sometimes you have to do certain things in order to honor the name of the Lord. And sometimes at great personal expense, great personal cost. But God says it's an aroma that I can smell. A generation of Christians has a comfort mentality, not a mourning mentality. Because we think that every time God is present, every time it's going to have to be just a jumping up and down, joyous celebration. Yes, it is true. But the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are those, happy are those who mourn. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are you when someone persecute you. Where's that coming from? Jesus said that because he knew that the center of God's will is not always a walk in the park. It's not always a bed of roses. But that solidifies for God our faith. Brother Alex over there uh, gave me fish last Thursday. He just caught them. They're fresh, okay? And uh, it didn't last long in the cooler, Obviously, it had to be cooked, it had to be eaten, it had to be enjoyed. And he told me, you know, I, I'm going to give it to you, but, but I haven't cleaned it up yet. You know, I don't care how fresh fish is. It stinks. It stinks bad. And I was cleaning it. I'm smelling it. It's really, really bad. <laughs> Put some lemon in it, didn't help. Put some pepper in it, didn't help. Put salt, of course. I don't understand why something that came from salt water had to be salted. I could, I could never connect that, right? But this one, I had to put salt. Turn on the pan, the, 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 the stove, heated up the oil. 
put those guys in there. I tell you what. After a few minutes, it smelled good. Really good. I don't know, you're getting hungry. Try now. I enjoyed that very much. Well, the same thing. God sometimes will not smell the aroma of our sacrifice unless we're put to the grill, unless we first get fried in the pan. That's what suffering is supposed to be. That's when the aroma comes in. Okay? God's not, not going to allow you to just, uh, not, not just going to smell your life without us walking by faith and, 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 and giving something substantial to the Lord. It's the same kind of thing. It's the same kind of principle. We won't ever smell good to God until we have been put on the grill or on the pan or on the boiler, the broiler. That's why the Bible says, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Now, Peter explained it much better in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Jesus, you are what? Blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I didn't say that. That's in the Bible. Always, always look at the things that are going on in our life as part of God's glorifying process of his name in our lives. The Christian life is a sacrificial life. It's going to be inconvenient, unpopular, unglamorous, and it's sometimes dangerous. And it's going to cost us plenty, but it is for God's glory to be experienced in our lives. Secondly, honoring the Lord's table, we must honor it as a community of converts. Only God's people participates in that communion. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in the book of Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, <coughs> to prayer. That's the breaking of bread right there. It's the communion. In Acts 2.47, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread. There it is again, communion. In their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Holy communion is for believers only. If you are not a follower of Jesus, we suggest that you first examine yourself. We, we don't, you, can, you can participate in it, but if, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not part of the community of the converted, if you're not born again, the, the communion uh, uh, symbolism means nothing. And look at our verse again, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself, himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. If you are in the new community of believers, you are expected to be connected to it. you connected to it in prayer, in worship, in the work of Christ. Christ within the church, in the bond of fellowship that exists among God's people. That's what it means to be truly be in the community of those converted people. The body of Christ is the church and the blood is the fellowship that flows within that body. 
Now write this down, 1 John 1, 7. It says, but if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all our sin. You know, you, you can't be a Christian without being part and connected to the body of Christ. That's an impossibility. Oh, pastor, I may not be part of any church or any fellowship, but I believe in Jesus. I mean, we pontificate. We say this thing as if it's the most spiritual kind of thing. But read the word. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another. Ever since the beginning of the history of the world, Jesus has always, the word of God, God himself has always assembled the people. He has always assembled a people. Don't ask me why I'm not smart enough to know why God did it that way. All I know is that the testimony of the word says, you have to be connected to the body. And uh, you, connect with your, you, you connect with the rest of the body of Christ. And, and, and a church attendance means nothing if you're not connected to the fellowship, you know. So it's, it's, uh, I am sorry if I, if I sound like I'm trying to pound this because, you know, we have a lot of empty spots here and all of that. That doesn't bother me. What bothers me is when people begin to think that, hey, this is not important. Do you feel deep sorrow when you're not connected to the body of Christ? Is there sorrow in there? Do you, do you miss it? Do you, do you, you know, when, when, when Christians are being persecuted all over the world, do you feel bad about it? That means you're not connected. Do you do you uh, do you feel a sense of a sense of obligation to to be to be to to pray for somebody? Now here, here are here, let me say let me say this. Okay, you're not gonna like me for this. I'm gonna say this. Okay, most people who don't regularly attend church, okay, when they do attend church, they bring a lot of their attitudes, negativity, and all of that in the church that they go to, because they're not they're not used to being among God's people. You know, when there's always strife and arguing and fighting inside your house, when there's always cheating, when there's always coarse joking, when there's always all these negative things going on in your life, you come to church and you bring some of that stuff in here. You do. You know, you got so much problems at home. You got so much things you're dealing with at work and all of that. And what do, you, what do you say to yourself when you come to church? I am here to be encouraged. I am here to be uplifted. I am here to do this, that, for me, 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 me. And then you hear the pastor says, repent. The last thing I want to hear when I come to church is for me to repent. Myself. I had enough problems in the world. That's the problem. You have enough problems in the world and you come to church and you think that you're going to bring the problems in the church. When you come to church, this is what you need to do. You need to lift up your hands and say, praise God. And here's another thing that you got to do. Brother, can I pray for you? Is there something that I can do to lift you up in praying? That's what you do when you come to the body of Christ because we all need it. I hope at some point in your life you're not coming to church because I just, I just, need, I just need prayer. Yes, we do. But I hope at some point in your life when you come into church, you come in saying, Pastor, I want to pray for somebody. Anybody here wants me to pray for them? That's where we're going because it's a community of converts. Thirdly, it's a celebration of the new covenant. 
How many of you are glad you are in the new covenant? Jesus said, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 6 says, <coughs> He is the one who has enabled us to represent his co- his, this new covenant. This is a covenant not written, not written laws, but of the Spirit. The old way ends in death. In the new way, the Holy Spirit gives life. That's an amazing verse. In the Old Testament... They celebrated the Passover uh, because uh, of, of God delivering them out of Egypt. And the, the, the Passover is when the angel of death passed over them because they sprinkled blood on the door. And yet in the new covenant, none of that stuff is valid anymore because we have the blood of Jesus that was shed for us once and for all. The blood of Jesus is the ink that God uses to write his law in our hearts. Do you have the law of God in your heart? If you have the law of God in your heart, it's because the Holy Spirit wrote that by the blood of Jesus. Pastor, how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit? Here's how you know. Three o'clock in the morning, you are an intersection, no cops, nobody there. You're just by yourself, and the light is red, you don't go. You, you, you don't need the code. You don't need to read about it. You know it in here. Amen? Just an example. How do you know that God is writing his law in your heart? Well, you are indifferent to sin. You enjoy the word more. You want to worship more. There's a final thing in here, and I'll quickly close with this. And that is, there's a consciousness of the cross. A consciousness of the cross. The death of Jesus on the cross, if someone asks you, for the reason why Jesus died. If someone asks you about the cross, will you be able to answer? What answer will you give when somebody asks you, what is the meaning of that cross? Why did Jesus die on it? What will your answer be? Now, I've been around a long time, and I've heard so many people give so many different answers. And I'm going to review those bad answers again. Okay? The answers that we must reject... Okay, these are the things that we reject. The view of the cross that we must walk away from. Number one, the ransom view. The ransom view of the cross says that God, through the death of Jesus on the cross, paid Satan to release us from sin. That's pretty bad. The reversal view. God reversed what Adam did when he disobeyed so that we can obey when we believe in Jesus. We know that's not always true. The release view that says that Jesus died on the cross so that the world can be released from evil. The realization view that Jesus died for his sin so that he can give us a God consciousness. That's pretty bad. The reciprocal view. Jesus died so we can love God. The representative view. Jesus is an example to us. The rewarding view. God rewarded Jesus, and Jesus passed it on to us. And then finally, the requirement view. Jesus fulfilled the law to satisfy God. All of this should be rejected. All of it. None of it is true. They don't explain the true spiritual condition of humanity. There are people today who don't recognize that they are sinners. And unless we recognize that we are sinners, we can't be saved. We can't be. 
Pastor, I never killed anybody. Pastor, I never lie. I have lived an ethical life all my life. All of that doesn't matter because God says we are separated from him. And how did he accomplish bringing us back to him? There's only one true view of the cross, and that is the replacement view. He took our place. Jesus took our place on the cross. It's called the penal substitutionary death. He satisfied the requirement of God's wrath. That's the only view. That matters. If you think about that for a moment, Jesus not only forgave us, but he turned away God's anger toward us. We must realize we are sinners separated from God. You've been listening to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. If you have been helped by this radio program and would like to keep it on the air, your continued prayerful and financial support is greatly appreciated. Please visit livingontherockradio.com where all your tax-deductible gifts will go directly to the radio ministry. That's livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. A church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale, with Sunday worship starting at 10.30 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com.